0: Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by
1: Priests for Life. Well, hello, I'm Janet Morena, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Well, parents, are you getting pretty upset about all the stuff that is happening in your children's school if they go to public school? Are you upset about the kind of books that are in the school library? Are you upset about the curriculum? Are you upset about in some schools how the boys can now, you know, they trans- transitioning, go into the girls' bathroom and the sports nonsense? If you're really getting upset about these things, well, today, this conversation is for you, because we're going to teach you a few things about what you can do to push back, to fight back, and to bring change to your school. Joining me today is a dear friend of mine. Her name is Karen England, and she's president of the Capital Resource Institute. So Karen, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you.
0: And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show and hopefully help empower
1: parents to reclaim their parental rights. That's right. So let's talk about reclaiming parental rights because I think very, first of all, I think the biggest mistake most parents make is they don't get involved in school board elections they don't get involved in going to school board meetings so can we just before you know, tell us about that whole part that this like not paying attention what it can do to your child's school well that is a, a great question and people
0: don't understand the school board if your kids are in public schools It matters more than who you vote for for president because it impacts you and your children on a day-to-day basis. In addition to that, school boards are powerful. So few people vote in them that if you can organize and get behind a pro-family school board member, you can get them elected fairly easily or if you want to run yourself. It's something we need to be engaged in. And I will say progressives who have an entirely different worldview have been engaged in doing this for quite some time and unfortunately even in red states there's a lot of sexualizing of our children that are going on that parents they're they're just they're
1: thinking they're safe and they're not okay so karen you just said the sexualization of our children can we just give them some examples of the this kind of like how are they creeping into the schools with the sexualization of our children Oh, absolutely. So for instance, the you know we're still
0: kind of at the beginning of the school year, even though we're in, into October, but several school districts throughout red states, I happen to be in Tennessee right now, very first day of school in a red state, in a red county, they were asking kids about their preferred pronoun. And we've got teachers that are transitioning and having those conversations with our youth, some as early as first grade. When we're not planning on having those conversations with our kids, let alone the whole controversial part of that, in addition to that, the the topics of the sexualizing in our books and in our curriculum, and I I will say libraries, is outrageous. You know, we just did an expose on the week-long banned book week that the American Library Association promotes, and I can't tell you how many school districts across this nation supported and promoted the reading of banned books. And what's interesting is the American Library Association has on their own website the the most reasons parents object to these books. And let me tell you what some of the reasons were. Pedophilia, sexual violence, pornography, rape scenes, They know what parents are objecting to and they still want to go around you and give your kids access to these materials when they're at school.
1: Wow. So the, the list you recommended um, that we could see what the banned books are, how do they access that list and then tell them what, what you know, what can they do with that list to kind of see, are these books in my child's school? And then what can they do to kind of get a committee appearance to fight the school to get them out? So can you give us some like assignment? Absolutely. I love that because it is going to have to be
0: done from the local level, uh, community by community. That's how this all happened. So first of all, you can always contact us at Capital Resource Institute because we want to help. And the first thing you can do, we've been putting out emails and we have information about a variety of books that are in our schools. And we're not talking about Huckleberry Finn. I'm not trying to, you know, get that book removed. We're talking about genderqueer. We're talking about some really graphic sexual books. So graphic. One book that we released yesterday We showed a video of of me opening the book. YouTube forced it down within three minutes because it was sexual and nudity. It violated their content standards. However, it's in schools in Texas, in Clarksville, California, Tennessee, everywhere. So anyway, what a parent can do is first, often online, you can go to your district website. So just type in your local school district, you know, Clarksville um, school district and you should be able to in the search engine go ahead and type in library books or online library and that's where you would start to look for these books and you can get a list of books both from our website and then one of the tricks i use is i go to the progressive websites on what they're complaining parents are complaining about that does some of the research for me and so one of the big ones is Genderqueer. It's one of the number one books and it's so explicit. So you look and see if it's in your library. You then need to look and find out what the policy is to remove books from the library. And that's what we did here recently. So we, we submitted, and this is typically how a school district works. We submitted um, a, a paper that said, here's why we object. We want this to be reconsidered, to be removed from the library. And that starts the process. And so, again, Capital Resource Institute is happy to walk through this with you um, to help you weed through the policy. I know that sounds kind of intimidating, like, oh, you know, they, they put all these big words in there, but they're they're really not so intimidating. Um, you'll find that that you can do this. And not only can you, but you should. Whether you're a parent or grandparent, you're a taxpayer. We are responsible for our neighbors in those schools. And so I cannot tell you how graphic some of these books have gotten just in the last couple of years. We need to protect these innocent eyes and minds. It's up to us. No one else is going to do it.
1: You know, and Karen, some people listening right now might say, oh, those books are probably in the junior high and the high school, but we're talking about they're in the elementary school that young children, we're talking about kindergarten, first, second, third grade, would have access to these books. And And sadly, in some schools, the teachers are even promoting access to these books. So, like, let's say they follow your recipe and they start this process. Can you tell us some success stories? Like, How long did it take to get some books removed and should they pick off one book at a time? But if they find a half a dozen of these objectionable books in your school, can you just do a whole list at one shot? Like, what's the strategy and tell us about some successes? Well, a couple of successes just right here in Clarksville, Tennessee.
0: We had we exposed a book. Uh, We had several parents request it be removed and it was immediately removed. Now we're on to our second book. And it's taking a little longer, but we believe in the end we will prevail because I think they were willing to give us one book. But then the progressives stepped in and said, no, we we want to keep all of this stuff. But that's okay. One of the key things that parents need to do before you do the book challenge is to educate your neighbors, your Bible study, your community, your soccer team on what's in the book. So the other side doesn't define you as a book banner but you're actually just trying to get obscenity and pornography out of the school. So I would say, choose your battles, you know, don't, just because it's a different political viewpoint, you know, it's a pro Biden book or a pro Trump book don't that you really can't. And I don't think should get removed. I, I think it's okay to have different points of view. However, the obscenity and the pornographic sexual nature of books are the ones I would pick, including some of the really, um, one of the books that, that we're working on now is called the lovely bones. And it talks about a 14 year old with a graphic rape scene and an older uncle and so those books need to be removed as well we don't need that imagery in our in our kids minds especially kids that have been abused there's a lot of triggering that's now going on in schools so i would recommend i would recommend start with one book to get a feel for what the response is going to be and then you can regroup and, and do a strategy if you've got a friendly school board then yes, I would document everything. So for instance, the the challenge I did recently, I put several um, items in and I cited, in addition to just filling out the form, I actually attached pictures of the anti-Christian, anti-Catholic graphic. It actually promotes, so if if any of you have the book, this book is gay. It promotes Craigslist, Grindr, which is an LGBTQ uh, dating app that you have to be 18, so it doesn't belong in our schools at all. But you mentioned kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. The number one book you all need to look for in that is a book called It's Perfectly Normal. And a lot of schools are having that. And that is so graphic in the elementary school. There's another one called Drama, and it gets it, it's got some um, homosexual kissing, uh, boy on boy, which I don't think kindergarten or first, second, third grade should have heterosexual kissing going on in a book that they're reading but the left has been very good the progressives have gotten away with it by by not doing chapter books which are are kind of labeled differently and you have to be a little older to get a chapter book they're doing this in cartoon so it's not one of those books that says oh a kindergartner can't shake check it out it's too difficult or the content is too um, advanced for them and the idea, one other thing, Janet, you can jump in here anytime or I'll go on forever. Go the other thing I want to talk about is age appropriate. And just because your library has an age, says it's age appropriate, that means nothing. I think back to when our 33 year old was in school and what even what friends in our Bible study deemed age appropriate for movies in, or TV to see was very different than what our home was. And so age appropriate these days, you know, um, progressives really believe that that kids need to be exploring their sexuality from birth. And so age appropriate to them means letting them transition in kindergarten. So you need to know that these clashing worldviews, the words don't mean the same thing to, to them that it does or maybe does to you.
1: Right. Okay. so that books is just one piece of the puzzle here, as we know, (laughs) you know, that's enough. But now there's so many other things. So you mentioned um, uh, to ask students at the beginning of the school year their preferred pronoun. I mean, come on. I mean, what could parents do if your kid comes home from school and says, Mommy, you know, at school today, um, the the teacher said we could choose our pronoun, and, and she named all these options. Why did they? Why why did they do that? What is a parent to do when they hear this? Like ah, I would be screaming. Yeah, what, what, and, 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 what and parents, parents are
0: they're they're livid. So a couple of things. It really does depend on where you live. I, I'm again coming from California. Um, But one of the key things that's standard everywhere is this idea that in the Supreme Court has backed this up and there have been court cases even recently that Alliance Defending Freedom, um, they've handled them. And that is the idea of compelled speech. You cannot compel somebody to say something they don't believe. So if you know it's a biological boy, they cannot compel your student. If you're a teacher out there, they cannot compel you to refer to that biological male as a she. Um, They might be, you know, the whole name. I, I go by Karen. But if I decided I wanted to go by Kate, that's not a big deal. You'd have to honor that. But if I told you you have to call me a he, you don't have to do that legally. And so you need to reach out to us or any other group that would help you. But those are difficult conversations. And that's why we need to have policies at the local school district, if not the state law that protects Parents and students. And there are some states out there who say you can't have those conversations without first notifying a parent and allowing them to opt out. And so if your state law doesn't have that, you need to. um, I think Florida just did it, and I believe Virginia just did it as well. They did, um, their governors did executive orders, but you can go to your local school board and they can have a policy that says, you know, we're not going to we're not going to allow our teachers to do this and indoctrinate these kids without the parent first agreeing to it. And we need to be proactive. Our schools are not like they used to be. Janet, you and I have talked about this and how, how graphic, how we assume we've got parental rights when we send our kids there. But if you don't exercise them, uh, if you don't follow up with what's going on at the school, you're going to be surprised and then it's going to be too late. Right.
1: Well, you know, just recently um, my grandson came home from school and said, "Oh yeah," and I forget um, the girl's name in his class, but he said, "Oh yeah, she wants to be now called," and he mentioned a boy's name, right? So my daughter is like sitting there going, uh, "Why do I have to have this conversation <laughs> now?" You know, and and she said to him, Lucas. Is, is she a, a girl or boy? And he said, well, of course, mom, is the girl. And she wants to be called this boy name. So we said to him, so what do you do? He goes, well, when I talk among my friends, we call her who she is. And to her face, we say that name she wants. But he goes, it's stupid <laughs> from the mouth of babes, you know. But it, it's just creeping in so much, you know, into, I mean, we're in Florida. They go to school in Florida. And of course, you know. Of course, we could yeah. talk for a minute about the don't say gay bill that they that, that the left renamed the bill. But they don't realize that here in Florida, they already had things on the books that said uh, that sex ed would start grade third and up. OK. Right. And but because of all this other stuff that was creeping in about the pronouns and this and that, the state legislature felt the need to be a little bit more specific that you could not indoctrinate any of this stuff below third grade um which i thought that made perfect sense but nobody nobody referred to the fact that these laws were on the books already saying no sex ed or nothing below third grade right and of course they turned it into the don't say gay bill which as you know was became a big firestorm here but um you know i think the problem is that we're in we get intimidated we're afraid to speak back and say, no, we're not going to tolerate this any longer. Right. So with the pronoun matter, you just said, they can't. So if I was a teacher and like, let's say in my grandson's school, and I didn't want to call her by the boy name, I don't have to do that. Is that what you're saying? Uh, the, the boy name
0: you do, because we do things all the time. Like, let's say somebody comes in and said, well, and again, not a lawyer, but I play one at work. Somebody comes in and his name is Matthew and he's enrolled in school, but we call him Matt or we call by the, I ha, I went to school with a gal named Kathleen Carrington and she could never, when she was young, couldn't spell her name. Both of them were so long. So she just put on her, her papers, KC So her name, she was known as Casey throughout her whole, you know, education and probably to this day, all these years later. So that isn't as big, big of a deal, but, pronouns which relate specifically to what a person is, a he or a she, that they cannot compel speech. And we've been having that recently here in Clarksville, Tennessee, where for some reason, all the school counselors at the beginning of the year had a meeting with teachers and said, for the kids and for non-discrimination, we have to do this. Well, not only do you not have to do this, but it actually telling teachers they have to do that is unconstitutional. And just recently in 2021, there was a case that was won by a professor on this whole issue of compelled speech. You cannot force me, a teacher, to call you a she when you are biologically a he. And so it doesn't do anyone good. And this is where I want to encourage parents to stand up, especially this issue. They are coming after our kids and it is so harmful and what they're doing with all of the gender transitioning you know without parents knowing there are long lasting harmful effects for these kids and we need to stand in the gap for them and we need to back up the teachers that are saying hey I can't do that that's not my belief god created them male and female and I'm not going to call a girl a he and that that it's really that simple And again, whether they they contact your organization, our organization will put people in touch with attorneys that can defend them because it's it's important that we tell the truth and we teach our kids the truth.
1: Right. So let's just go back for a minute. You just said that they're beginning to kind of indoctrinate the children in this transitioning what are the ways that it is cre- like, you know, creeping into the school, this indoctrination of the, of this whole idea? How is that happening?
0: Well, let me give you an example. In California, uh, several years ago, but this book is being used in kindergarten classes all over the nation. Several years ago, for reading time, they'll bring in the book. Um, this is I Am Jazz or the, the, I believe it's called the Blue Crayon or the Red Crayon. Uh, and Tango Makes Three. And so they will purposely bring books like that into the classroom especially in the younger ages which will then prompt a lot of questions and a lot of organic conversation in the classroom is protected and so they creep in and then when someone says well how can two penguins that are both boy penguins or you know i don't you know have a ba- have a baby baby penguin that opens the door And so they're doing that. And there's so much where these teachers unions are going to conferences where they're being told, especially um, in communities where faith faith is very important, they're told, hey, we need to be the resource for these these kids, because these poor kids have those religious parents that aren't going to embrace them. And and so that's what they're doing. They're really, um, and and again, being in Florida, love your governor, um, but it doesn't mean teachers aren't going to still do it. Uh, You know, even even with uh, critical race theory, there are a bunch of teachers, teachers that have signed the Zinn pledge saying I'm going to teach critical race theory, whether our governor or 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 school board says says to or not. And they proudly taken a pledge to continue to teach it because they feel like it's their calling. We need to remind them they are servants of the public with our tax dollars, including the teachers. They work for us, the community, and we need to remind them of that. But if we're, we're silent, the other side is going to be in there influencing them. And we don't want that for our kids or our community.
1: Yeah. And you know, Karen, this is uh, one thing that parents have to realize too, is that let's say you win the fight and they say they're going to remove this book from the library. You have to make sure, in fact, it is removed. And I'm going to give you an example. Back all the way in 1990, I was a public school teacher in, in New York, first grade. And one week before Christmas break, they got us to some teacher workshop. They handed us this curriculum called "Children of the Rainbow." This is 1990, and they said, "Oh, that we're going to Janet,
0: Children I- of the Rainbow. We're for that."
1: Oh yeah. So I take the manual home. It's right before Christmas. I throw it on my teacher shelf. Go for Christmas break. Come back in January, and <clears throat> I say, "Well, what's this thing?" And I start looking at it and reading it, and all of a sudden, I go, "Oh my gosh!" I can't have these books in my library. I'm not getting these books. Heather has two mommies and all this stuff. I said, this is to teach the gay and lesbian lifestyle is perfectly fine. And Heather can have two mommies and, right. and Joey can have two daddies. And all this is just hunky-dory and perfectly fine and normal. So I actually brought it to Father Pavone. And he preached every, the pastor let him preach every um, mass that Sunday holding it in the pulpit and the community got outraged. We went to the school board like in mass at a meeting demanding that this curriculum be taken. Now you have to understand New York city is five boroughs. So we were only one of five Right. and the the parents of Staten Island got the school board to say, we want this curriculum thrown out of the schools. Right. Of course, I put it on my principal's desk after this whole uh, thing. And I said, yeah. I'm not teaching this. And I don't care what you do to me, but I'm not doing it. So they supposedly said, okay, in Staten Island, this curriculum will not happen. But the problem I had was, and this is the part that there wasn't enough follow-up, no, who collected the manuals to make sure there were some teachers like you just said, oh, close the door and I do what I want, you know? So I, I really have to warn parents. If you think you won the fight, unless you bring it to completion and remove the stuff physically, get it removed from the classroom, from the library, from whatever, and literally have it destroyed, yeah. taken to the shredder, burnt, whatever, there's no guarantee it's not going to creep back in. So what, what can you say, like in, in closing here, like what would... What, what's the advice to do? Like, there must be now better procedures than I had in 1990. Like, what can you do to guarantee if you win a fight that you're really, you know, brought it over the finish line?
0: <laughs> well, there's better procedures, but the, the progressives have gotten better too. So, and, and the end justifies the means for them. So they really do think that to get you out of the way and teach the kids this is the most high, highest calling for them. So one of the things that I'm very, very big on is filing Freedom of Information Acts or a public records request. And our website has one for every state. And that's where you can ask for certain documents. So you can get a list of the books that have been thrown out or a list of the books that are being used. And I would I would follow up with that. Every government agency is accountable to the public. And so you can request certain documents from them. And our website actually has um, a template for every one of the states for, for you to do a FOIA as a, as, a, as a parent or a community member. But you do, Janet, I'm so glad you said that. You do need to go full circle. And I operate, and I know a lot of people think I'm, I'm very cynical, and maybe I am. You need to operate from the perspective of it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle, and I don't trust them just because they say it. And we are really, uh, you know, you and I attend a lot of the same conferences. I'm very big, especially the last couple of years, on Esther 414, and that we are not to remain silent. That is for each and every one of us, and that we are living in a different time, and that we need to take advantage of that to push back what has been going on in our schools. You know, COVID woke people up. Well, it's time that you arm yourselves, roll up your sleeves and that you go get in the arena and start pushing this back. If not you, who? And and that's that's why we all need to get engaged.
1: Right. Well, of course, we have very important midterm elections coming up and so in closing, how can parents research the school board, all these local elections that will impact their schools? What were some quick tips you can give them?
0: well a couple of things maybe you can spread it out amongst a couple of moms moms and dads about who's running for school board so usually ballotpedia or you can even google and the name should pop up i recommend having someone personally call every school board candidate no matter you know whether they attend your church or not don't just assume they believe what you believe and i ask them very specific things. Some people would say, don't ask them the life question. I want to know what their position is on life because it's going to tell me what they're going to do when a, school, when a uh, progressive comes in and wants Planned Parenthood in the classroom. And so I ask, I'm, I'm very specific about what do you think the role of the mother is? What do you think the role of, of the family is? You know, who are you accountable to, the taxpayer? You know, what are your top priorities? So I recommend a handful of parents getting together, splitting up the research, Starting to do some research and then again, get behind a candidate and make sure you're telling everyone so few people. sometimes it's only hundreds of people that vote in school board election. So if you've got 25 friends, you can totally swing a local school board and and you need to be doing that. It is the, the office that is the closest to the home and the children is your school board.
1: That's right. Well, I just want to remind everyone, Karen, uh, it's capital resource right? .org yes. is your website i know you keep loading up there all the time constantly great information uh and listen you know everyone is responsible for making sure that you can clean out your child's school of all this terrible stuff because the progressives are on the march they want to yeah. indoctrinate and you've got to you know I, I always say don't give up just don't say okay I, I guess i'll homeschool no You are a taxpayer. You have certain rights. Get in there and fight, fight, fight. So Karen, thank you for joining me today. It's been a blessing to have you on our program. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope, brothers and sisters, you learned something today. And again, her website, capitalresource.org. Please go there, get involved, and let's get those progressives out of our schools, out of our school boards, and let's get the good Christian pro-life people with family values back in the game. Thank you again for joining me. This is Janet Miranda, Executive Director of Priest Life. Until next time, God bless.